0: Alright. Who's ready to go? You're like, what? <laughs> what are you saying? What's happening here? Oh, that's that was my response as well. Let's just take a moment and pray. The Holy Spirit, as believers in Jesus Christ, um, as followers of him. Those that have placed their life, their faith, and their trust on what Christ did on the cross. The sinless, spotless lamb that was sacrificed for us. And the rising from the dead that he did three days after. Us laying ourselves on that full faith as Christians. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. Fills us. One of the most most empowering things that the Holy Spirit does is he helps us discern his word. Helps us discern his word. So let's ask him to do that. God, we just... Father, we don't rush into this passage. We don't rush into this moment just trying to extract the donut quick and easy meal, microwave consumption from this passage. We want to let it marinate mainly because, God, we want to understand what you're saying. God, we want to understand and apply it to our lives. We, we believe that your word is inspired, every word. That everything that you preserved supernaturally through time, through these 66 books. God, we believe that they're there for a reason. We believe that as a church we're to teach this word. And we believe fully that this has ultimate edification and building up, uh, opportunity to build up this body of believers. And God, I... As I've spent a lot of time just really chewing on this passage, I just ask that right now that we would draw away the the, the absolute truth, which is ultimately a simple truth. So Holy Spirit, we're not wasting our time. We're calling to you. We're asking your presence right now to help us understand and reveal this parable to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are in our last week of the storyteller. Have you guys enjoyed the storyteller this far or thus far? Um, I have. It's been a lot of fun taking the parables of Jesus and how he was the greatest storyteller. And he communicated things in a very uh, raw way, a very real way, but also um, a very. Uh, unique way so that we remember things. Uh, a lot of times, uh, people tell stories or they give examples so that you ultimately remember what they're trying to tell you or what they're trying to teach. Jesus does this all throughout his life, and we've only taken uh, ten weeks on the storyteller series. We've picked, we, we've kind of cherry-picked um, ten different stories, ten different parables. Uh, ...that we wanted to share with you, that we wanted to kind of dive into, and we saved this one uh, for last. And one of the reasons we saved this for last is that I know there was a lot of momentum built in Luke chapter 15. If you were here earlier in the series, you knew that we walked through, if you remember, I believe it was even the first week... ...that we walked through the lost sheep and the lost coin... You remember that week? Uh, we walked through the lost coin. The, uh, the Crider family was up here. And they were sharing about their uh, ministry that God had called them to. And, and then we begin to walk from the lost sheep and the lost coin. To then the lost son later in Luke 15. And then later, later in Luke 15, um, the other lost son. So Luke 15 opens up with this word that says, He also said to the disciples. It, it implies here that... This is a continuation of the parables he's been teaching in Luke 15. Why is that important? It's it's of utmost importance. You're like if, I already, if I've already lost you, just reel back in, stop thinking about lunch, stop stop just go back, zoom back into where we're at. The point of why he's bringing up the, or why he why I'm adding this. That it's important that you understand that Luke 15 is an exten- Luke 16 is an extension of Luke 15 is because he's talking to the same crowd. Now, who is the crowd? In Luke 15, Luke 15 lines it out that he's talking to basically two groups of people: his disciples, like kind of the inner circle, like the guys that are, that are listening, his his like his dozen, his crew, his posse, his people, right, right here around him. They're listening to what he's teaching. He's teaching them parables that were revealing the heart of God. But behind them, around them, it talks about how these Pharisees, how these tax collectors, these religious leaders begin to gather around. It drew a crowd. When Jesus said something, people tend to stop and listen. Whether they agreed with it or not, it was always the most tweetable moment. It was always the most attention-grabbing moment. Jesus is talking. Even if they hated him, they stopped to listen. So here it is. You have the disciples, you have the Pharisees, and the tax collectors. So he starts this chapter out, and he says, He also said to his disciples, assuming, implying, that there was also the same crowd behind them, gathered around them, and he's teaching a parable to the disciples, but here's the thing. He's like... I mean, how many of y'all love (laughs) sarcasm? Anybody's like main mode of Rhea? That, you, yes, totally. Your main mode, some of us, our main mode of humor is sarcasm. Now, Jesus is not being sarcastic, but he is, he's very much being um, tongue-in-cheek. He knows that those corrupt power grabbing money loving Pharisees hypocrites teachers of the law pastors preachers priests are listening to him and so he's talking it's like it's as if you're talking to that one child but you're speaking to all the children and behind them to instill fear into them right like you're you're telling one child about one thing but ultimately you're speaking To the whole crew, right? Are are you with me? Are you following along? I think that's really important before we go any further. Before we ultimately understand the point of this, is we have to understand who Jesus is talking to. So, what is the point of today? Today's, um, the parable, the title of the parable is the parable of the shrewd manager. Or I'll say the parable of the shady manager. Now, I think it's important for us this morning to understand that Jesus uses the shady manager to show us that you can be a conduit for good or you can be a conduit for bad. So Jesus uses the shady manager to show us that you can be a conduit for good or you can be a conduit for bad. That's where we're at today. That's the, that's the general principle. And he uses this Uh, ...story of this shady manager, of this shrewd manager... ...to call out ultimately the purpose of money. This isn't necessarily a parable about money or how you spend money... ...but it's ultimately drawing into the root of why we need to have money... ...or why we don't need to have money or what we're supposed to do with our money. It's, It's this root principle of what is money for... Have you ever been caught as a, as a follower of Jesus where you're, like, you can totally justify in your head why you need lots of money? But then there's other times where you can totally justify and fantasize in your head about, like, all right, that's it. I'm leaving. I'm finding an island. I'm building, an, uh, I'm building a little hut. I'm catching fish every day and I want nothing to do with money or anything in this world ever again. Have you ever felt those two extreme things? Have you felt that way? Well, this is ultimately the, the human experience. This is ultimately what it's like to be human, let alone. All of a sudden, now we're followers of Jesus. We have purpose and mission. And when he calls us into that purpose and mission, we have these big questions. Well, oh God, I, I, I have a family. Or, or, or maybe I'm single. I, I need a roof over my head. I need a car to drive because I can't walk in this weather. Like I, can't, I, I need certain things. And if you're human, if you've, if you've been alive, been adult at all, or if you've been especially as a young, you're trying to figure out like the importance of this as a whole. You have these big questions about what is the point of money. And I think ultimately this parable is not about money, but he uses money as a tool to teach something here. And he uses this shrewd manager to show us that we can be a conduit for good or we can be a conduit for bad. Now, I'm assuming, you guys are here today, uh, as I'm assuming that your heart is that we we as conduit, we as people, we as humans, we as Jamestownians, we want to be a conduit for good, right? One of the best ways that we can become a conduit for good is to use the resources that he has given us. What are the resources that he's given us? Money. What are some other resources that God has given us to use for to be a conduit for good versus a conduit for bad? Uh, money's the obvious; it's the elephant in the room in the in the parable. What, what what are just call out to me? What are, what are some other resources that God has given us? Gifts. What's that? Your health. Yes. Time, yes. What's that? Good communication. good communication, yes. So important. What are some other things that God has given us resources to be a conduit for good? Uh, food. Our jobs, food, yes. All these are great. Oh, pretty much everything in life can be a conduit for good or bad. And I would argue that in this life, That there's so many avenues and and, and things that can be used for good. You have your phone and you have your iPad. You have your TV and you have all these screens and electronics. And a lot of times it's easy for us to use. Like even speak. Maybe for you, this right here has been a conduit for awful. (laughs) For not good. For awful things. But also this maybe for some of you, has been a conduit for good. So, so the issue, I, I, I'm using different examples because I want you to see outside of money. I want you to see outside of money before we get into this because it's important that if all we're going to talk about is money, then ultimately you're you, you, like, you might, as I was when I was first reading this, you kind of check out. And that's not the point. Money is not the point. But you can use this for good, Facebook, you can use Facebook for good, or you could use Facebook to be a conduit for bad. You understand the principle that this is just a tool. Now money can either be a tool or it can be an idol, and that's where it brings us right into the story of the dishonest manager, the shrewd manager, the shrewd Uh, steward some of you uh, I believe it's the NIV if you have the NIV I believe it says the word steward instead of manager am I wrong or am I right in that Um, it, it doesn't use the word manager it says steward now this is important because or is it the other way maybe it's KGV I don't know whatever one of the mainline versions uses the word steward instead of manager this is an important piece for us to understand Because ultimately, no matter what you have, whatever resource you have, whether it's spiritual gifts or whether it's inanimate objects or whether it's money, God is inviting us to use it for good instead of bad. He's asking us ultimately to be a steward. A steward. I'll get into into define that once we get in. Further in the parable, he says, he said to these disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this manager was wasting his possessions. Note that even in the Greek when it says wasting his possessions, we were talking about Luke 15. Wasting in in the Greek here is the same word that that prodigal son did to his father's inheritance. It's the same word. So it's this idea of squandering it wasted his possessions and he called him and he said to him what is this I hear about you turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be a manager for the manager said to himself what shall I do since the master is taking my manage away from me I'm about to get fired I am not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg I have decided what to do and so I, that I may be removed from ma- so when I'm removed from management, people may still receive me into their homes. When they receive me into their homes, they might give me a job. They may give me money. They may give me a place to sleep. They may give me all these things. I need to find favor, favor with them so they'll receive me. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe the master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill. Sit down quickly and write 50 instead of 100. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He says, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now, the master, the boss, the boss boss, the the rich guy that he's talking about, by whom he's employed by, the master commended the dishonest manager. The shrewd steward here. He, he, <laughs> he commended him for what? His shrewdness. Y- y'all, you got to stay with me on this. This is so good. And it's really easy for us to get lost in kind of the minutia of the story and the process of what's happening here. But I want you to get this. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world were more shrewd in dealing with their own generation... Than the sons of light. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. So that when it fails, they may receive you into their eternal dwellings. One who is faithful with little is also faithful with much. So, um, <laughs> I love this. Um, it, if you've ever been fired, don't raise your hand. Uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) Ah, wow. So imagine, uh, there's so many ways we could go with this. If if you get fired for doing (laughs) shady dude doing shady stuff, uh, he knows it's coming. And he knows it's coming so much so is that the moment that he gets caught, he knows exactly what to do to preserve himself and what's ultimately important to him. Now, uh, the man or excuse me, the boss, the rich man, um, recognizes that his steward, that his manager, is not uh, handling his possessions well. Now again, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the disciples because ultimately these dozen B-team junior varsity guys are getting ready to flip the world upside down. And they're going to be stewards of not only the early church, but they're about to be stewards of the hearts and souls of the flock of this new church of Jesus Christ. Jesus knows that. And so he is genuinely trying to connect the heart of God through this parable with these disciples. But he also knows that there are tax collectors in this room beyond his disciples, Pharisees in the room who are hoarding money. He knows for them, even though this story isn't ultimately and directly about money, he knows for them, he's speaking directly to where they are cheating. You see, it was a custom. It was normal in those days for tax collectors. As the Roman army was charge of a region they would go knock on every door and they say you owe this amount of money when in reality they may only owe this amount of money. They may only owe 8,000 but they'll still ask for 12 and so they'll take that f- extra four and they will pocket it. That's why people hated the tax collectors then. Uh, the Pharisees, the Pastors and priests and the church leaders, one of the things that Jesus despised was them. And he didn't despise them so much because they were just bad dudes. Um, He despised them because he knew they were extracting from the poor to make themselves ultimately quite rich as religious leaders. You see, there's power in religion and there's power in the law. There's power for those tax collectors as there was power For those religious leaders. So when Jesus is talking about the shrewd manager and the dishonest manager. He's challenging these disciples for the future. But he's also calling out tongue in cheek the leaders that are in the room. He knows that they got rolls of cash in their pocket. That they took dishonest. Now, where this story gets a little, little bit chaotic is that there's not this, like, whoa, like, zinger of a line, just the mic moment for Jesus at the end that calls about their wickedness. Jesus, in the parable, calls out and commends their shrewdness. Yeah, I know. That was my response, too. I was. Half confused and also like half surprised. Why on earth is Jesus using this, like those punks and their shrewdness and their dishonest management? Why is he using that as a teaching point? I'll just say it like this. Um, have you... Um, if, if you want to be... Um, if you want to have a strong marriage... If you want to have a strong marriage, do you only learn from those that have it all together and have an awesome, strong marriage? And if you do find those people, let me know. But do you learn only from those people? <laughs> no. You, you actually learn from people that, you learn from maybe the pitfalls that others have walked through. Uh, you as a, a teacher. Um... A banker, a real estate agent, a landscaper, a a driver, a mom, a dad. No matter what your role or job is, you don't always necessarily pick out the shining stars to learn from. See, humility opens us up to learn from everybody. And that's what Jesus is calling out, first of all. That's not the point of the story, but I think that's important for us to know that when Jesus taught this, that was a big part of what he was trying to say, that you you should learn from their shrewdness. You should learn from their design. Like, these guys were slick, shrewd. What what does it mean to be shrewd? I just want to point out a couple things. To be shrewd. Um, First of all, shrewd is... Slick. To, to be shrewd, it means to be slick. It's a, it's, and, and, and guard your heart for you salesmen in the room, um, because again, ultimately I'm a salesman uh, as well, but tr- just follow me here, I love you. Uh, a salesman, uh, ultimately that's shrewd, that's slick, has high emotional intelligence. They can read the room really well. They know what that buyer is looking for. Ultimately, they watch their eyes, they see their body language. There's a high emotional intelligence to read the room and know what they ultimately need. And so here's the idea for them, is they are great with people. They are master manipulators. You're like, where are you going with this, man? You're calling out like this shady, shrewd manager and you're pointing out, Positive things. Just just hang on a second. Just, there, there's a lesson here that Jesus is pointing out. Second, uh, shrewd is creative. Uh, <laughs> if you're shrewd, you're creative. Um, when we moved from uh, Ari- uh, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, back into uh, this area, we packed up this truck that was uh, man, we had way too much junk and and if, if you've ever made a big move like that, you're like, oh yeah, we will need one this size and ultimately like you, you need one about triple that size, especially if you have children and And we packed this truck to be shipped across the country so tight from the I mean I was I prided myself in the, in this like it was legit. like every nook and cranny was crammed shut. And I said something to my children that for months. For months. They never forgot and I think they kind of took the wrong way. I said, guys, that truck is packed so tight that I don't even think a snake can get from one side to the other. They heard there's a snake in the truck. <laughs> That's what they heard. They don't want to go near the truck. Alright guys, time to unload. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's, it's this analogy that I tried to use to say, y'all, I don't think a snake can slither its way through. But ultimately, you get the point. You get this idea that the snake is going to find its way from one end to the other. That snake is creative. That snake is shrewd. That's what it means to be there's a creativity that comes along with the shrewdness. Last part: shrewd is wise. Shrewd is wise, but maybe not towards the right things. Hmm. Hey, have you ever thought about uh, that slick salesman or that 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 shrewd person that in the end they got. They got what they were going for. And you're scratching your head like, how in the world did that happen? They're shrewd. They're wise enough to figure it out. They're creative enough to figure it out. Man, I love this verse in Matthew 10, 10, verses 16. (laughs) Challenges us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This is a challenge from Jesus to his disciples again in another part of scripture. And he's telling them, you need to be wise, shrewd as serpents, but innocent as doves. Now, I know all y'all are here. I, I know most of you are awesome people. I love you to death. Like, you're just amazing. I think it's easy for us to kind of gravitate towards being innocent as doves. Like, y'all, we all got our junk. We're all like, we can be jerks, and we can, we can miss the mark and all that. But ultimately, we gravitate towards being innocent as doves. And I think what Jesus is ultimately challenging his disciples in Matthew to do is to be a little more shrewd. Like there's something to be learned with the snake. There's something to be learned in his creativity and his wisdom that ultimately we can take and apply to the kingdom. This manager that was this dishonest, this manager... That was shrewd. He did something that Jesus wanted us to see. He was about to lose his job. He was about to lose everything. And his first response was self-preservation. His first response was, man, I, got, I, I, have, to, I have a family to feed. I, I got to make a way for me to continue with the, the job that I have or some other payment or paycheck that I have. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna call up. Um, I'm gonna call up um, the the people that owe my boss money, and I'm gonna I'm gonna cut out the middleman. I'm gonna say, you know what? Hey, I know you owe him uh, ten grand, but you know, just make it five. Just make it five, quick. Write it down, because um, yeah, yeah, Like, just I'm I'm doing you a favor. Today is your lucky day. And the owner finds out, and Jesus is like, you see that? He he didn't step in and say like, hey. That guy was so shady. Don't be dishonest and shady like him. Jesus is stepping in and he's like, hold hold on a second. There's actually something to be learned here. He challenges us to be shrewd. But what is the shrewd rooted in? You see, for the dishonest manager, his shrewdness, he, he found a way to be unrighteous. He found a way... As fast as he could provide for himself through his dishonesty. And Jesus is challenging us to use that same energy for righteousness. All that creativity, all that shrewdness that you put in to preserving your job and getting in good with some of these customers that might give you a job or give you a place to stay, All that energy, if you were to just apply that energy to the kingdom of God and his righteousness, man, man, what an impact you would make. Both in relationship and in friendships. Because ultimately, that guy, that shrewd manager, listen, he made a lot of friends, didn't he? Dude, how many of y'all, if you have a mortgage or if you've ever had a mortgage? Okay, imagine your mortgage broker calls you up one day and you thought in your head, maybe you owe, still owe about 50 grand on your mortgage. Like you've worked hard at chopping that thing down. You've worked overtime. You've, you've just worked so hard, you've got 50 grand left. Um, and the manager call or your broker calls and says, hey, um, by the way, I just want to let you know that um, it's been a pleasure working with you and it's been, it's, it's your lucky day. I, I just want to let you know, like, I've decided today on my own, to in, I'm going into the computer, logging in right now, and I'm, I'm making it so that you only owe $25,000. Wouldn't that be awesome? And then, like, oh, yeah, before I hang up, I just want to let you know, like, I'm, I'm moving companies. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking for a job right now. I'm, I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but I'm not going to see you much anymore. because. And then you run into this person, this broker, in Wegmans the next week, right? Um, are you going to be kind to that person? Yes! Hey, buddy! woohoo! Hot five! Yes! There's relationship there because of what had happened. And that's when Jesus is ultimately, ultimately later in the parable. He says, um, he talks about in verse, um, let's see here. Verse 9, look at it. It says, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. That's that unrighteous wealth that he's talking about. So that when it all fails, you'll, they'll receive you into the eternal dwellings. Is, is Jesus telling you mortgage brokers to do that tomorrow? And for the kingdom's sake, make new friends by being shady? No. Jesus is simply pointing out that that same desire to be accepted that same desire to have favor with your customers, that same desire to get financial gain, that same desire to preserve your own wealth and paycheck. Apply that to the kingdom. To be wise or shrewd as a serpent and innocent as a dove, it gives us this idea that shrewd means to be wise. But not towards unrighteousness, but towards righteousness, towards the right things. Jesus wants your ambition. Jesus wants your ideas. Jesus wants your capital. He doesn't want your capital, ambition, your money, for for the sake of having stuff. He owns it all. And that's the understanding of what it means to be a manager. And that's the definition of what it means to be a steward. A steward is simply someone that manages something that they don't own. A, A steward is simply somebody who manages something for someone else. They don't own it. I, the woman hands me her purse and says, Hold this for a moment so I can help my child. I'm stuck with the purse. It's not mine. This is the point Jesus is making. So, what we do with that, as we are stewards with that, it's not ours. It's not our money. It's not our time. It's not our gifts that we're to hoard for ourselves. It's not our health. It's, all, it's not about just our bodies and our health that is for me to consume. It, it's not about any of these things. They are to be stewarded for the glory of God and for the expansion of the kingdom of Jesus on this earth. This is the heart of that parable. So this morning, I know it's easy for us to get uh, caught up in, okay, what's the takeaway? What's the application? I I think there might be some people here that need to be a bit more shrewd. Stay with me. I think that there are times when we need to take our ambition for self-preservation and apply that to the kingdom of God. If, if let me let me put it this way, have I ever told you about the time that I was on the Memphis News Channel, TV? Have I ever told you about this story? No. Okay, I was on the news one time. Um, my wife was really proud of this moment. Um, she <laughs> she's like, I don't know where you're going with this. Uh, right after college in Pensacola, Florida, her and I moved uh, to a. Um, I was a campus pastor at a church in um, Memphis, Tennessee, and we lived there. Uh, for about two years, right out of college. And um, during that time, uh, there was a, um, a hurricane, I believe it was Hurricane Ivan, that hit the panhandle of Florida. And um, uh, all this was, it was literally eight, nine hours away from the coast. But there was this urgency for the people down there. Not only because we knew people down there, but, but there was just this sense of urgency. And so we wanted to fill up, this, this uh, local church wanted to fill up this huge uh, 18-wheeler truck with supplies to send down there. And so they parked it right in front of Walmart, um, at the Super Walmart. And so I, um, I left the house by myself, and I drove down there, and um, <laughs> and the news station was there. And I did one of those, like, uh, um, where the person was talking, and then you see the guy in the background that's just like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so immature. Um, that was then, all right that was like fifteen years ago. don't judge me all right but ultimately, this is what I noticed I, I I did go in the store and I and we bought a bunch of things to be able to put in the truck and as I walked in I've not lived in a um, area where there was a national or a, a natural disaster um, about to happen, um, but I walked in and maybe you've lived or been to a place um, where this has happened, whether it was a a, a fire or some type of uh, hurricane or some other thing where you walked into the grocery store and there was nothing on the shelves. Uh, There was no water, bottled water. There was no um, like basic essentials. Bread was gone. Milk was gone. Everything was cleared out. Ultimately, everything was cleared out in Memphis, eight, nine hours away from the hurricane, Because they packed it in a truck to bring it to Florida to help the people down there. The the shelves were cleaned out for the betterment of others. That was used as a conduit for good. Now, here's here's what I would say. Let's say that there was in Jamestown, New York, next week, there was a blizzard predicted like we have never, ever seen. Even the one, was it, 77? Is that when it was? Um, I was still a bit from being born at that point, but I've heard it was pretty crazy. Um, let's say it was, it's far worse beyond that. Like, the prediction is just catastrophic. No doubt, in my mind, that every grocery store in Chautauqua County would be cleared out of bread and water and milk and all the basic necessities. Why? Why? And it should be. I'd, I'd get out of my way. I'll beat you there. I got a family to feed. Jesus is saying that even the, the the ambition to provide for yourself and your family for the basic necessity of food and drink and shelter use that same ambition. Use that same. Get out of my way. I'm building the kingdom with whatever I got. If it's my money. Take it all. If it's my time, I'm giving it all. If it's my relationships, I'm giving it all. I'm stewarding shrewdly with all I got. And that is the point that Jesus is trying to make. That shrewd manager, yo, he worked really hard. He thought it through. He slithered his way to be able to have security, to be able to have the basic necessities of like living Jesus says, use that same energy for the kingdom. He ends the parable by saying, One who is faithful in the very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in the very little is also dishonest in much. You have not been faithful in the, un, with the unrighteous wealth. L- listen, what it, like it's easy to check out as soon as I say that unrighteous wealth, that that unrighteous wealth, that that roll of cash in the tax collector's pocket, in the Pharisee's pocket, the the corrupt, the, the unrighteous wealth, the ambition by which you're going to knock everybody out of the way to get what you need. From the grocery store in the middle of a catastrophic storm. That's the unrighteous wealth. If he's saying he's challenging us, guys, he's challenging us as followers. He's, he's, he's getting down again with his disciples, guys. Listen, If I can't trust you with the ambition to help your neighbor right now over yourself, how can I trust you with the true riches? Y'all. If you've not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? If you have not been faithful in that which is someone else's, if you've not been faithful with the body you've been given as a temple of the Holy Spirit, if you've not been faithful with the money and the job you've been given and the paycheck that you've earned that is ultimately all God's, if you've not With this unrighteous wealth, this worldly stuff, this stuff that will fade, the stuff that will melt, the stuff that will be sold on Craigslist a year from now, or eight years from now, or 20 years from now. Those things, if we can't be trusted with that unrighteous wealth, then how can we be trusted with true riches? No servant can serve two masters. Oh, this is so good! He's calling out one guy. One dishonest, shrewd manager. One shrewd steward. This guy cannot serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will hate the other and love the one. He goes on to say, you cannot serve God in money. As deep as this, principle is he draws it back to money. He draws it back to the resources we've been given as stewards of a living God. I know it's easy for us to itemize out how we live or to justify how we live or don't live. You know who else did that? The Pharisees. The Pharisees and the tax collectors had good reason in their mind that justified the way they lived. When ultimately Jesus is challenging us. He, he, he knows your heart. He knows your actions. But he's also challenging you to this as a follower of Jesus. What it looks like to steward. It's Guys, this is better than just right and wrong. This is More exciting than righteousness and unrighteousness. This is beyond being a conduit for good and being a conduit for bad. Jesus is inviting you. He's he's beckoning you in to be stewards of eternal dwellings. You've been saved not just from something, but to something. He's inviting you. He's wooing you in to something so exciting through his church, through as a, as a, as a believer in your workplace and the relationships you have and every part of what's coming in the next few months with the people you're going to see in regards to Thanksgiving and Christmas and how you spend it and what you do and what you're consumed by or what you're not consumed by. He's inviting you to something better. It's not just about do this and don't do this. He's inviting you to partnership, stewardship. You, you, we, are the managers. We are the stewards of everything God has given us. May that challenge us. May that propel us in to what he's asked us to do. Would you stand with me? Would you close your eyes? Matthew 6 verse 19 says Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where rust and moth does not corrupt. Where thieves don't break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where earth Excuse me, where rust and moth doesn't corrupt. Where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Treasure. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Jesus, this morning, we we recognize that you're using this shrewd manager, ...as a conduit for good or bad... ...you're challenging us to both extremes. This morning God... ...may we not get distracted by... ...the simple aspect of money... ...but we recognize that it's either a tool... ...or an idol. A tool. A tool to be used for good... ...in the betterment of others. And yes... Providing for ourselves and sustenance sustenance and family and giving and friends and necessities of life. But ultimately, God, may you use every part of our mind, our heart, our soul, and our strength to love you in this way. That we would be stewards that are as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We're being sent out amongst wolves and we're the sheep. God, we're asking for your help and God, I'm challenging conduit this morning. I'm challenging God, may they know specifically, even in their mind right now, what they're to be stewards of. The businesses they own, the relationships they have, the way they treat their spouse, the way they speak to their child, what they do with their free time, how they give or don't give, how, how we strategize and use creativity and we give all of our mind to the things that will ultimately rust and fade. God, challenge me, challenge us to use everything we have, everything you've given to be a conduit for good and not a conduit for bad. Jesus, may you, Holy Spirit, may you convict our heart. And may we have the willingness and humility to learn from this bad example. This dishonest manager. And may we be a faithful steward of everything you've given us. In Jesus' name.